Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take. It's back. Oh, yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, Julie Lippman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes. Oh, yeah. It's coming back. First episode drops August 29th. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. April showers bring a loaded sports calendar, and FanDuel is the place to bet on it all. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit RG hyphen help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg helpcom This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Oh, baby, what a win for the Patriots. Brian Barrett with you. Welcome into Off the Pike. We're going to chat with Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus in just a little bit, break down this game in greater detail, but huge spot for the Patriots. They win this thing 29 to nothing, completely a dominant effort, all the way around, and they needed this badly considering they came into the game one and three, and all across the board, they dominated this game. And you look at this game, the magic number is four, right? So the Patriots set an NFL record, holding Lions to 0 for 6 on fourth down, completely dominant on the defensive side of things, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. And how about their fourth round picks? Fourth round picks in this game for the Patriots. Zappi, of course, was the story. And by the way, I love the fact the crowd was chanting for him after the game. That was pretty fun to see. Zappi, 17 of 21, a buck 88, a touchdown, and a quarterback rating of 100. By the way, the rating would be better if he didn't have the interception, which was all on Aguilar. Hold on to the damn ball. Help the young player. I'm not going to get upset because the Patriots won, but nonetheless, he should not have had an interception. Ramondre Stevenson in this game, a fourth-round pick. From two years ago, 25 carries, 161 yards. Jack Jones, the interception. An interception for the second straight week. This guy has forced three turnovers in the past two games. And now you look at where the Patriots are at. Browns coming up. They lost today to the Chargers. Bears coming up. They suck. Jets coming up. They beat the Dolphins, but that's because of their quarterback situation. Indy and then the Jets again. So the Patriots find themselves now building up some momentum. This is what we were waiting to see. And a big part of this was Zappy, of course. But I look back and it kind of reminds me of that Texans game, right? Where the Texans in that game, 
You go into Houston, you win 27 to nothing with your third string quarterback. You did that thing today. Again, 29 nothing. I get it's at home and I get it I get it's against a bad Lions team, but a huge statement here. So that's 56 to nothing. The last two times you started your third string quarterback, right? And to me, one of the things that stuck out in this game is this defense was just unbelievable. Goff's numbers in the first half, he was four for eight for 47 yards with no touchdowns, an interception, two sacks, a 28.6 passer rating. On the game, the Patriots were all over this guy. I told you coming into this thing, just expose the real Jared Goff because I never bought into what Jared Goff had been doing so far this season. Didn't buy into it for a second. And Belichick has owned him in the past, and he did today. You look at Goff on the game, completed 54.3% of his passes. Baker Mayfield lasted the NFL entering this week at 54.7. The rating was at 62.7. Fields was the worst among quarterbacks with multiple starts at 73.1. So basically, you made Jared Goff into the worst quarterback in the NFL this week. And by the way, you put it all on Goff by taking away the running game because you got a lead, right? The Patriots got a lead. They're in the driver's seat. So the Lions running game, and I get they didn't have Swift, but Williams is a good player. They averaged just 3.7 yards per carry. So you put the game on Goff. They came into this one averaging 5.9 yards per carry, first in the NFL. So put the whole game on Goff. You will win, and we saw that today. The Lions in this first half, 3.5 yards per play. They were first in the NFL entering today at 6.5. Washington last at 4.6. And in the totality of the game, the Lions averaged 4.9 yards per play. Only seven teams are south of five. So this was incredible to see what the Patriots did. So let's start with the defense and let's get to Matthew Judon because he has been a game wrecker so far this year. And we saw it again today. He's had a sack in every game, and he had two sacks today. He's now up to six on the season. So you look at some of the big plays by Judon in this defense. So first drive, right? They stop Williams up the middle, turnover on downs, where you had that nice play by Barmore where he kind of knifes across. So right away, you get a turnover on downs. You set Zappi up at the 45-yard line of Detroit. The Patriots would end up getting a field goal on that ensuing drive. Second drive of the game, where the Lions are kind of moving the football down the field, you get a huge pick from Jack Jones, which... By the way, that was just phenomenal to see. Jack Jones read exactly what Goff was doing. We saw a similar play last week from Jones, just a very, really heady play. And this is what's impressive from this guy as just a rookie in this league to make plays like that on back-to-back weeks. I mean, he is a huge pick by Belichick in the draft. He has been really good for this team. And that was part of the whole idea coming into the game is Goff will throw you the football. Remember, he only had three interceptions, but if you look at it in terms of the turnover-worthy plays, which Pro Football Focus documents, he was at eight. Only Derek Carr and Matt Ryan had more, so you knew those opportunities were going to be there. You just had to take advantage. Jack Jones does. Third drive of the game, third and seven, Judon with a huge sack, loss of nine, and then, of course, you have the situation where you force them into a punt. Fourth drive of the game. Fourth and nine, another time where the Lions are going for it on fourth down. Judon with a huge play, a huge sack on Goff. Goff with his small hands, doesn't hold on to the ball. Duggar picks it up, goes the other way. So back-to-back drives, huge plays from Judon. All four drives to start this game defensively, you had huge plays. And then right after the half, remember, sixth drive of the game, which would be that fourth and two. 
Jonathan Jones, huge play on St. Brown, who was coming back from the injury. He's short of the sticks on the pass, and you had a huge tackle by Jonathan Jones to turn him over on downs again. And then later on in the game on a fourth and one, McMillan blows up to play. So it was just impressive to see what the Patriots were able to do from a defensive perspective, where they came up with all these big plays time after time again. Okay, and then you go into just the turnovers in general, right? And the Patriots coming into this game, they were not forcing a ton of turnovers on the season. Just 11.6% of their opponent drives, right? That was 16th of the NFL. Well, today, not only as we reference the turnovers, they win the turnover battle 2-1. to one. Their defense scores again. But if you look at it as well, they had five turnovers on downs, right? So that's really like seven where you give it back to your offense. So just a huge spot for the defense. They showed up. I'm feeling a lot more optimistic about the defense after what we saw today because the Lions had had a good season up until this particular point in terms of offensively. They lost that game to Seattle last week, not because of their offense, because of their defense, right? So when you look at what this defense was able to do, it was so huge. Because you had a rookie quarterback starting on the other side and you took the team that was the highest scoring offense of the NFL and you completely shut them down. All right, so a lot of notes I have from the offensive side of things. Let's start with, we had a tight end sighting. Holy shit, a tight end showed up today. Hunter Henry in this game, four for 54. And you saw that nice little play action at the beginning of the game slash RPO, if you will, for 23 yards, the first pass that Zappy throws. Then he found Henry later on in the game for a nice little six-yard pickup where it wasn't there originally, and Henry came back to the ball. So that was just big to get some production out of your tight end position, right? And those are sort of the easy throws in the offense for the quarterback. So I give a lot of credit to Patricia because Henry has not been a big part of the offense whatsoever, but he said, okay, young, inexperienced quarterback, let's get the tight end going. And they certainly did today where Jonu Smith, or excuse me, was out of this game. Henry entering today, just 41 receiving yards, right? That was 52nd among tight ends. Today he has 54, right? So just a huge opportunity to sort of get him in rhythm because he was a good player for this team last year and we haven't seen him at all. Okay, then let's get to Zappy because, man, I would be telling Mac Jones, take as long as you possibly want to come back, okay? Keep resting up that ankle because... This is what you want to see from the Patriots quarterback. If the defense is going to play the way that it did today, this is what you want to see. Do not put the ball in harm's way. Zappi did not do that at all. I would argue that he hasn't done it in the first two games, except the fumble, of course, when he waited a little bit too long and he took that sack. But today got rid of the ball a lot quicker than he did in the last game. And the other part of the equation is the only mistake that this team really had in terms of the turnover was on Aguilar. Aguilar dropped the ball up in the air. It looked like he was back at his Philadelphia days. That was a perfectly thrown ball by Zappi. And a couple of nice plays. Like, I really like that play that I referenced to Henry where he fights back, does Henry. And then you look at the play that he also made to Myers. A couple of play action passes, which were huge in this game. He picked up a first down with his legs. You even saw at the end of the game there where he's trying to pick up the first down. He's kind of laughing after he didn't make it. But one thing I thought stuck out to me today that we didn't see last week, and I give the offensive line credit for this as well with the protection, is you saw him climbing the pocket and making a couple of throws, which were big to see. And I just like having that mobility from the quarterback in the pocket. I'm not talking about running the ball like crazy, like a Lamar Jackson or a Kyler Murray. But that ability to make the play with your feet to extend the play a little bit, you don't really see that with Mac Jones. And we certainly saw that from Bailey Zappi. So, I mean, I can't imagine that we would have been here before the season. 
I feel really comfortable with this kid at quarterback right now. Don't go crazy. I'm not saying like he's going to be this like elite player or anything along those lines. But this guy just got out of Western Kentucky and look at what he's doing at the NFL level. He basically did everything you possibly could have asked from a quarterback in this situation today. So he also got help from Ramondre Stevenson. Stevenson was phenomenal in this game. I gave you the numbers already. But he just had some huge runs. Second drive of the game, the 49-yard run, where if he didn't lose his footing, he would have gone for a touchdown, made a couple of guys miss. And in fact, on that play, he stiff-armed a defensive lineman. He is making these moves at 230 pounds, right? So he had some game-changing plays, if you will, where that sets up a field goal. Now, you would have liked a touchdown there. But nonetheless, then how about the screen pass he caught where he made not one, not two guys miss, and he had that unbelievable spin move. And then to start off the second half, he has the 11-yard run on a second and 10, and he ran through two arm tackles. Right after that, he has an 11-yard run. And what that did, and I give Patricia a lot of credit, that set up the play-action pass for the touchdown because of the ability of Stevenson to run the football. And you just look at Stevenson in terms of what he's been able to do this season. It's really fun to watch because he runs through contact, right? If you look at him coming into today, 8.6 attempts per broken tackle, which was fourth in the NFL, that number is going to go up. And we've seen these days where Stevenson has just had performances that are game-changing, if you will, where really put you in a position to win games. Like in Baltimore, remember, he's 12 for 73, 6.1 yards a carry. It's a very similar performance today, except the Patriots get the win. And I know that they really like Damian Harris. Unfortunately, today, he's dealing with a hamstring injury. But the facts are the facts. Like, if you just watch the games, who is a better back? Stevenson is a better back. In fact, coming into the week, he's fourth, according to Pro Football Focus, in terms of all the running backs of the NFL. If Harris has to miss next week as well, more and more Stevenson. And it just feels like he got better as the game went on. I mean, think about this. His 20th carry of the game. He went for 26 yards on his 20th carry of the game. He should be tired. He had to basically carry the offense because of the fact that Damian Harris goes down in this game and you see him still wearing out the Detroit Lions defense. And I know the Lions aren't good defensively and all that different type of stuff, but just the way that Stevenson runs, it's different than Harris. Like Harris runs the ball really hard. I'm not disputing that whatsoever. Harris is a really good player, but Stevenson's different, man. He is a special player. All right, then we got to reference Myers because he had been dealing with an injury. He comes back. He had the touchdown grab where, remember, he just froze Price at the line of scrimmage. Tremendous job by Myers. And then a hat tip to Patricia, who set that up with the back-to-back runs to Ramondre Stevenson. And then earlier in the game, he sold the crosser, and he goes outside. He picks up a first down there. All in all, seven receptions for 111 yards, 15.9 yards per reception. And I do think, and going back to the Henry part of the equation, Myers playing out of the slot. These are the safe throws for the Patriots offense. Myers and Henry. We saw that a lot last year from Mac, where these were his favorite targets. We haven't seen a lot of that this year. We did today, so credit Patricia and credit both those guys. Oh, the other guy I will reference is, I know I've been hard on Devontae Parker at times this season, and it's not like he really contributed that huge to the offense today, but you know what he did do is he drew two penalties to extend drives. So that was huge from Parker and When you look at a Jeff Okuda, that's a Matt Patricia pick. And they went after that guy today, who's a former number three overall pick. He did not look good. It's a bad look for Patricia when it comes to that. And then the other guy that got involved, not to say that he had a big impact on the game, but you saw Tyquan Thornton, right? Where he comes in really in the second half. You saw him a little bit more. He had back-to-back catches on one of those drives there. 
And so that's just another wrinkle, another element that maybe they start to sprinkle in a little bit more as the season goes on. Obviously, you're dealing with an injury to Jonu Smith. So basically, little Jordan Humphrey is only there basically as a pseudo tight end. And then you think about now all these different receivers now born. And I'll admit it, I'm the biggest born guy out there. He had a real shitty game where he had two penalties, just inexcusable. But I would like to see as the weeks go on, the more and more what we're going to see from Thornton going forward. And if you look at Belichick's drafts the last two years, there's a lot of these guys that are showing up, right? Marcus Jones has been really good in the return game, especially last week against Green Bay. Jack Jones has been phenomenal for this team. I mean, he has been way better than I think anybody would have predicted him to be as a rookie. Then you look at what you got from a fourth round draft pick in Bailey Zappi. And this is another thing, like, We have to give, we criticize the Patriots coaching staff a lot this year. We have to give them credit when something like this happens. You have to give Patricia credit for the game plan today, and you have to give Belichick credit for the game plan today as well, because that shit shouldn't happen. You shouldn't see a fourth-round draft pick who played one year at the major college level, and it was at Western Kentucky, come out here and be this poised. Now, a lot of credit goes to the kid, because you could tell the guys were rallying around him, but the coaching staff deserves a ton of credit. In fact, they deserve a lot of credit for drafting the guy, because really, think about it. Most teams are screwed when their starting quarterback goes down. And I wouldn't have felt any differently if Mac Jones was starting today than Bailey Zappi. I picked the Patriots before to cover the three and a half, and I felt fine with Zappi going into this game today. I felt like they were really good in terms of the play calling, etc. But then you look at Strange has been a really good player for this team. We mentioned Armandre Stevenson. And of course, you have Mac Jones part of the equation as well. And Christian Barmore, who was the second round pick two years ago, who of course had a huge play early on in this game to basically turn the Lions over on down. So it's amazing to me where we're at right now compared to where we're at just about two weeks ago, right? Where it did feel like, and I admit I was sort of on the side of things, it did feel like panic time. Mac Jones is down. In comes Brian Hoyer. Nobody wants to see Brian Hoyer play. And then all of a sudden, this zappy experience happens where he goes to Lambeau. He's not overwhelmed by the moment. And you're like, okay, yeah, it wasn't a perfect game or anything along those lines. But for a guy that had never played at the NFL level, it felt like it was a lot better than it should have been from a quarterback of his stature in the league, if you will. And today makes me feel even more confident. It makes me feel a lot better about the Patriots as now they're in this soft spot of the schedule and they should be able to pile up some wins because I really felt like, and maybe you disagree with me, but I really felt like after Mac Jones went down like, oh crap, this season's over. I mean, I even did a podcast earlier this year where I was talking about, hey, maybe they should tank for a quarterback. Well, that's not going to happen now because you're going to be as relevant as you were with Bailey Zappi with Mac Jones. Now, maybe that is an indictment on Mac, right? Because you just got this guy out of Western Kentucky and I feel just as good with this guy out there. In fact, I feel better. And part of that's on the coaching, right? Because when Mac's out there, they're throwing a lot more 50-50 balls and they're throwing into tight windows. I feel better about the way they're playing offensive football with Bailey Zappi compared to Mac Jones because of the way that they're doing things, right? Bailey Zappi's not throwing the ball into traffic. In fact, the shot plays that he takes, those are drawn up. Those are predetermined. Those aren't things that he's just improvising on, right? Everything is sort of predetermined with Zappi. Now, occasionally, of course, he'll extend the play a little bit. But I can't believe we're here. I really can't. I'm excited we now have a football season again. I thought the football season could be over. And the Patriots right now, they do have a football season going forward, which you have to feel optimistic about. All right, a lot more to get into. We're going to chat with Doug Hyde from Pro Football Focus in just a little bit. We'll get into Matt Patricia's game plan and some of the stuff the Patriots did to help Bailey Zappi in this one. 
This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus, it is Doug Kai. Doug, what's up, man? Brian, how's it going? Well, I'm doing well. I'm doing a lot better than after the last time we talked because I feel optimistic about the Patriots now, man. I was just saying, like, they have a season again. Yeah, they really do. I mean, it's a tough division. It's a tough conference. But if they can play that well uh, against a, a Detroit Lions team that is pretty abysmal on defense, but was coming into this game one of the most efficient offenses in the NFL, it still tells you something about this team, especially with rookie quarterback Bailey Zappi playing as well as he did. I mean, even if you just erase everything that happened on offense, which you shouldn't, uh, based on what the Lions are, I think that their performance on defense was telling enough. Yeah, and I really like what they did with Zappi, right? Because I feel like it's almost, Doug, the opposite of what they've done with Mack all season long, where Zappi's not taking a lot of chances, right? Even like the shot plays like to Parker, they're drawn up so it's not going to be an interception, right? They're making sure that Zappi doesn't turn the football over. And I feel like based on where this team's at, that's the better way to go about your business rather than trying to be this team that's taking all these crazy shots like they were with Mack. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bailey Zappi only had three passing attempts over 20 yards. He was one of three for 24 yards. Didn't have a whole lot in the intermediate part of the field either. And he was highly efficient, uh, you know, behind the line of scrimmage and, and up to 10 yards. So no, this was the way to treat him. They, they treat him with the, with the kid rookie gloves and he plays smart. Obviously he knows the offense really well. Uh, obviously he wasn't taking any major chances and, and this is the path to winning, especially against a defense like the Detroit lions. And I mean, I don't know. I, I, Maybe I'm being overly optimistic about Bailey Zappi right now, but like Bailey Zappi played better than most of the second-year quarterbacks that are in the NFL right now. You play, I know that they're putting something different on Bailey Zappi's plate than what the Jaguars are with Trevor Lawrence or what the Bears are with Justin Fields, but I don't know. I mean, he really showed something out there today, I thought. Yeah, Zappi played better than Mac's played all season long. Right. I feel like when the Patriots have been losing these games, Mac has been part of the problem. And look, I'm totally sympathetic to the fact, Doug, that I feel like at times they don't use Mac's skill set, if you will. But today, what Bailey Zappi did, it was, hey, don't screw the game up. He didn't screw the game up. And hey, when you have to make the necessary throws, like the one he made to Myers for a touchdown, like the one he made early to Hunter Henry, go ahead and make those throws because it feels like the arm is definitely good enough, Doug. Maybe he can't throw the ball down the field like some of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL, but it felt like he had plenty of zip on all his throws. Yeah, I don't think his skill set is that much different than Mac Jones. Obviously, Mac Jones was much more efficient at Alabama, went to a much bigger program, was much more highly recruited, better pedigree, all those things. But, you know, just raw quarterbacking skills, 
probably closer to Mac Jones than some other quarterbacks in the NFL. Probably not as mobile as Mac Jones either. That's one thing that, you know, Mac Jones can really, uh, you know, move around the pocket. He's got enough mobility to scramble. Billy Zappi probably doesn't have that. It's a little bit more on the shorter side, but I don't know if you look at their skill sets, they're really not that much different, which, you know, is good when you're talking about your backup quarterback, maybe not as good when you're talking about your starting quarterback. Yeah, well, and I felt too, Doug, like one of the things they did really well last week, because if you go back to when he came in against Green Bay, obviously that's a difficult situation for the coaching staff. But the issue that he ran into is he held on to the ball too long. He took the sacks and his time to throw was 3.31 seconds, which that would be like Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields. Like you got to be an elite scrambling type quarterback to be able to do something like that. And today it felt like there was a clear emphasis where, hey, let's get the ball out quick. Yeah, definitely. He uh, was getting out the ball in an average of 2.81 seconds. At least that's on our our first review here at PFF. So, yeah, definitely doing a better job of getting rid of the ball. And that's one thing that I was talking to someone about how Bailey Zappi performed last week. And he was saying, like, all right, let's hold off on saying that Zappi can be a, a future starter in the NFL. It's only one game. And he said that, you know, he showed poise, looked pretty confident out there. But as he put it, he was gripping the ball a little bit too tightly out there. And I think that that did affect him in the pocket. But I really didn't see any of those issues this week. And I thought that he really did maneuver the pocket well. I, I thought he was going through his reads pretty well out there. And no, they really did. They just played to his strengths and let the defense win the ball, let the Lions lose the game. But I definitely think that Zappi deserves a lot of credit for not making mistakes out there. I mean, yeah, he had one interception, but we certainly didn't credit that as a, a turnover-worthy play because, as I put on Twitter, Nelson Aguilar was basically playing hot potato with a football and threw it over to the Detroit Lions for an interception. And, by the way, Nelson Aguilar did not see the field after that. Uh, but, I mean, that was the only interception on, on the game for Bailey Zappi. He didn't have any turnover-worthy plays. Yeah, he was impressive. The other guy that was really impressive, Doug, was Stevenson. So, They only had two running backs dressed. So when Damian Harris goes down with a hamstring injury, like hopefully he's okay and hopefully he doesn't miss an extended period of time because obviously you can't have Stevenson out there every play of the game. Like essentially he was even out there in almost like garbage time today. (laughs) But I was really intrigued to say, okay, let's see Stevenson like with a full game because we've only really seen this once in his career when Harris was dealing with an injury last year. And this to me, Doug, is the best that we've seen Stevenson look all season long. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he was getting – all the touches that a main running back ordinarily would. Yeah. I mean, I I was curious to see what their plan of attack would have been if Stevenson needed a rest or if he needed, if he got, you know, banged up or anything like that, I guess it probably would have been someone like Kendrick Bourne out there, but I mean, yeah, Ramondre Stevenson picked up 111 out of his 161 yards after contact based on running plays. He forced eight missed tackles. I think he had another three forced missed tackles uh, just on his, two or three receptions as well. So he was he was doing great out there. I mean, 6.4 yards per carry, 4.4 yards after contact per carry. He he can be an every down back. He can be, you know, obviously he's not as um, powerful or, you know, he's not, I don't know, he's not Derrick Henry out there as a pure runner. He's not, um, you know, James White as a pass catcher or anything like that. But, he can run the ball, obviously. He can make guys miss. He can ro- run over defenders, and he can catch the ball out of the backfield. So even if Damian Harris is out for a prolonged amount of time with his injury, 
I think that Ramondre Stevenson could keep being a three down back in this offense. You don't necessarily need to force the ball into someone like, you know, Pierre Strong's hands or JJ Taylor or Kevin Harris. I think that those guys could be backups and you could actually see Ramondre Stevenson being that three down back. Yeah. And what I look at too, like, let's say the hypothetical is Harris isn't really that hurt and he comes back next, next week. I think they got to leapfrog Stevenson. And I know that's going to be, maybe that's difficult for like the culture of the team or what's whatsoever. And Harris going into a year where he's hoping to get a big time contract, et cetera. But I just believe Stevenson right now has run the ball better than Harris has this year. I know Harris was really good last year, but I just think that now it's got to be Harris spelling Stevenson and no more of this like alternating stuff. I would just make him the bell cow. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Or at least, you know, as you said, give him the bulk of the carries, give him 60% of snaps, give him 66% of snaps, something like that. Um, you know, as it currently stands for us, uh, which this is only on first review of this last game, but Ramondre Stevenson has an 83.2 PFF grade this season as a runner. Uh, Damian Harris is a 73.2. So they're both very good. And obviously that's a great thing to have, but Stevenson has been the better player. He's forcing missed tackles at a much higher rate. Uh, he's forcing missed tackles about 28% of his uh, attempts for Damian Harris. It's only 12%. Wow. He's picking up a lot more yards after, after contact. It's uh, 4.2 yards after contact for Stevenson, 3.2 after contact for Damian Harris. So it's not only the eye test. Ramondre Stevenson has been much more efficient and he's been doing a much better job making guys miss out there. I love it. All the numbers back up what we're seeing in the game is keep <laughs> feeding Stevenson the ball. Oh, you know what else shocked me today, Doug, is the Patriots all of a sudden like the tight end is now a position with the team again in terms of being a pass catching entity, not just a blocker. Yeah, I mean, I think some of that is just the fact that Jonu Smith was injured. You have to put Hunter Henry in there. And if you're going to use Hunter Henry to his strengths, it's going to be as a pass catcher. It's not going to be as a blocker. So it's kind of like if he's out there, you need to feed him the ball. So, uh, you know, four catches, 54 yards on the game. Um, unfortunately, one of those was that uh, kind of freak injury uh, by uh, Savion Smith, the, the Lions safety. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, Bailey Zappi was doing a good job getting Hunter Henry the ball. And obviously, you'd like to see more of that moving forward, given what they're paying these tight ends. Thing that once Johnny Smith comes back, you probably do start seeing them split the snaps a little bit more, and they're just going to be using Johnny Smith more as a blocker than a receiver. Uh, but when Hunter Henry's out there, you might as well throw in the ball because he is a very accomplished pass catcher. Hey, Doug, uh, before we move forward, because I want to get to Judah on stuff, do you think, based on now, like obviously Thornton's going to get playing time, they took him in the second round of the draft, you have Bourne, you have Aglor, do you think eventually they'll put one of those guys on the market? Because it just doesn't feel like there's going to be enough snaps for everybody out there. I think it's possible, and I mean, I heard before the season that some people around the team thought that Aglor would wind up getting traded, but then he had a really good preseason, he had a really good training camp, but that has not now continued into the season. Now he's had the big fumble. He had the big drop that led to an interception. He, he's out there, you know, making mental errors. So he's still the, the problem there, though, is who's going to take on his contract. The Patriots would basically probably have to eat the money to even be willing to trade him. Uh, this, if it comes down to it, this could even be a situation where after the trade deadline, Players have to pass through waivers. Veteran players even have to pass through waivers after they're cut. So maybe you could see one of these guys getting cut. But yeah, there's too many wide receivers. I was shocked that they dressed six wide receivers today just because there was really no point in doing that in an offense that utilizes tight ends and running backs and everything like that. So yeah, it's just, it's tough figuring out who that player 
would be. I know that Kendrick Bourne had a couple penalties out there and he was kind of, you know, not getting into it with Bill Belichick, but had a conversation with Bill Belichick after those <laughs> plays. Kind of have to wonder, you know, what happens there with Kendrick Bourne, but I don't know. Kendrick Bourne is the most valuable player to another team. Nelson Aguilar is probably the one that you would want to move. It's it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. Yeah, it feels like I can't believe I'm saying this, but it almost feels like they have too many receivers and not that yeah. they have like the A.J. Brown type of like stud player, but it is weird. They have a lot of like good receivers, maybe not a great receiver. So looking at this defense today, Judah makes two huge plays, of course, on back to back series. He has the first sack where he goes by Decker and then they line him up on the other side and he goes by Sewell to get the strip sack and then of course Kyle Duggar with the touchdown and Doug one of the questions we had coming into the season is hey which Judon are we going to get because for the first 13 games he was really good last year and then he sort of fell off a cliff we heard about he was dealing with an injury the COVID situation but man he looks unbelievable so far this season yeah I, I think you do still have to worry is he going to show up in the second half? Because this is this is pretty similar to what we saw last year from Matthew Judon, just completely taking over games as a pass rusher. Uh, today, he wound up having eight total pressures, which is a ton. Uh, he had two sacks, two quarterback hits, four hurries against the Detroit Lions. And that's a Lions team with a really good offensive line also. I know that they wound up benching one of their guards at halftime, but and when you're going up against Sewell and Decker, those are no slouches at tackle for the Detroit Lions. So for Judon to have that amount of success, eight pressures on only 19 pass rush snaps. And that's what they need moving forward to, to keep making plays on defense, because I don't know how productive the offense is going to wind up being this season, even when, when Mac Jones comes back. So they need to force those turnovers and they need to get, they need to be in scoring opportunities on defense. And that's what they've done over these last two weeks with Jack Jones pick six last year, uh, last week. And then Kyle Duggar's uh, scoop and score this week. Well, and you mentioned Jack Jones. So this is another fourth round pick to go along with Bailey Zappi and Ramondre Stevenson two years ago. I feel like Bill should just start the draft in the fourth <laughs> round. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable to the past two years, his ability to draft guys, find guys in the fourth round. But Jack Jones, I did not realize, obviously, I didn't stay up late watching a ton of Arizona State football last <laughs> year. But I mean, the ball skills last week, he comes off the coverage to make the interception. I mean, he read this one perfectly today on golf. I've been awfully impressed with Jack Jones, and it just feels like going forward I mean this guy's going to be on the field the majority of the game yeah I was I did a lot of research on Jack Jones before the draft for just because I knew that he was on the radar of the Patriots and I live in New England and I used to cover the Patriots obviously uh exclusively for Ness and so I I just had a pretty good idea that he was on their radar and he was a, like a four or five star recruit wound up going to USC at first got in some legal trouble went to Arizona State but I was talking to someone about him and they basically said that, like, if you ran Jack Jones college career 10 times, what occurred, what happened was the worst possible result. So I think that that's pretty telling that, you know, he had the talent to potentially be a first round pick. He had the talent uh, to be an All-American in college. It just didn't work out for a number of different reasons. But now we're actually seeing that talent come to fruition as a rookie for the Patriots. And I mean, yeah, the Patriots defensive backs, especially a cornerback, aren't so good that you can keep a guy like Jack Jones off the field for that long. They need to either, you know, move Miles Bryant out of there, move Jalen Mills into the slot. I think that Jack Jones, by having these interceptions in consecutive weeks, making big plays out there, he's forcing his way onto the field. Yeah, he certainly has. The other guy I want to hit on was Barmore, right? Because 
I felt like, okay, maybe he could be like the breakout player for the Patriots after having a good rookie season. Clearly so far this year, the breakout player has been Ramondre Stevenson in terms of the second year players on this team. But Barmore today, of course, had the big play with the turnover on downs early on in this game. But I haven't been overly impressed, Doug, with Barmore so far this season. What's your take been so far watching him? Yeah, I think that it's it's been a little bit underwhelming so far. Um, I I'm, I don't have his his PFF grade right in front of me uh, for his for his entire season this so far, but I think that everyone was expecting him to be a pretty big impact maker, um, you know, as a pass rusher, which that just hasn't really happened so far this season, which is kind of surprising. Um, and I think that even on run defense, he's not standing out quite as much as guys like Devon Godshaw and Lawrence guy when he was healthy. So it's, it's interesting. I don't know why it hasn't happened for him so far this season, because I do think that he was better last year, probably through this point in the season than he has been so far this season. Yeah, Doug. And the other thing that I just noticed, like watching this game today is I'm not saying it was exactly like the 2018 Super Bowl, but it just felt like that they were completely in Goff's head all game yeah. long. And like late in the game, he has St. Brown running wide open. He's not under pressure. And it's almost like the Darnold seeing ghost things. He runs out of the pocket right. when he doesn't really need to. So I felt like defensively, I guess you give Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo a lot of credit for drawing up a game plan where they had him completely flummoxed. He had no idea what was going on. Yeah, I mean, you were even seeing Jared Goff like turning around in the pocket. And you could, early in that game, as soon as one guy got through the line, it was pretty evident that Jared Goff, like something bad was going to happen for the Lions. And that's what happened on on the initial sack and also on the strip sack, where he was just getting so flustered by the Patriots' pass rush. And yeah, I mean, Bill Belichick obviously uh, knows what to do when he's going up against Jared Goff at quarterback. And, you know, just while we are on on the topic, uh, Christian Barmore, only a 55.3 PFF grade overall this season, a better pass rush grade, 67.9, but he's really struggling in run defense, 39.8 run defense grade so far this season. So you definitely like to see that pick up as the year goes along. Yeah. And Doug, I just look at this team going forward and this is sort of like a mentality thing with the team, but I felt like they needed to believe in what was actually occurring, right? Because they weren't (laughs) getting the results. They were just one and three on the season. And even that one win, it looks worse and worse as the weeks go on. I mean, you barely beat a Pittsburgh team that absolutely sucks. And I felt like today, give Patricia credit. He drew up a nice game plan. Defensively, they had a really good game plan. And you did it with a fourth round quarterback. So I can't imagine that this team isn't feeling like unbelievable right now and buying into the process again. I'm not saying like Belichick was losing the locker room or anything crazy like that, but it does feel like after this week, you're going to have the massive buy-in from the guys in the locker room. And I mean, I don't think that Bill Belichick was losing the locker room. I'm not sure if that would have happened for a couple of weeks, but we might've even talked about this before. When you eliminate 90% of players who've won a Super Bowl on this team and you're left with you know, Matthew Slater and Devin McCourty basically to start the season. Then you, you bring in Jamie Collins, you bring in Marcus Canner, like you're adding to your Super Bowl rings by bringing these guys back in the fold. I do. I think that there's a possibility that you could lose a team quicker when it's a bunch of young guys and players who haven't won Super Bowls because they, they might not trust the process as well as players might've in 2014 or 2018, whatever it would have been. But no, I do think that this is helpful and it does go to those moral victories, taking the Packers to overtime with a rookie quarterback. And I do think that there's, they, I don't think there was ever a lack of buy-in, but I do think that there's going to be more confidence heading forward 
after seeing what they could do against the Lions uh, with a guy like Bailey Zappi, at quarterback, stymieing the Lions offense the way that they were on defense. And I don't know. I mean, I mentioned it before. This is a really tough division. It's, it's going to get even tougher when Tua Tongo Bailo comes back. The Jets are looking pretty decent now with Zach Wilson at quarterback. We all know what the Buffalo Bills are. So it's it's going to be a gauntlet for, for the Patriots once again to some of those divisional games, but they've at least shown after this game that they can be competitive. Yeah, and I feel like there's this when the Patriots are sort of doubted. Now, a lot of this was manufactured during the Brady era, right? But the 18 run, people were not expecting the Patriots to win the Super Bowl that year, and yeah. Belichick and company take the challenge. They slow down Mahomes. I even go back to 2020 where they played – the Chiefs, when they were dealing with the COVID situation, Cam Newton couldn't travel, and they should have won that game if it isn't for Brian Hoyer, like, forgetting that they didn't have a timeout. He took a sack at the end of the half. And even going back to a very similar scenario that we saw today, when Jacoby Brissett had to start on a short week against the Texans, and basically they yeah. ran him, like, eight times in that game for nearly 50 yards. But I do think that does say something about the coaching staff and just Belichick getting these guys ready when they're doubted. It's almost like he thrives in these scenarios. And he was probably fired up this week that he had this scenario where his, where his team was being doubted. No, I think it does help. And I mean, you, you mentioned Matt Patricia and Joe judge. They deserve a ton of credit for getting Bailey Zappi ready to play the way that he was able to in this game. And I think that you give a lot of credit to Bill Belichick as well, because I think that now for the most part, he's probably handed that defense over to Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo because they were more experienced in the offensive coaches, but just the, the three man team of Patricia judge and Bill Belichick getting Bailey Zappi ready to the point that he was able to play as well as he did today. I know we clowned on those guys a lot during the preseason and during training camp, but I think that, I don't know, you've got to give those guys a lot of credit for for what they were able to do with Bailey Zappi because that was not easy. And you see a lot of rookie quarterbacks come in across the NFL and really struggle in a situation like Zappi was put in today. Yeah, and I'll take partial credit, Doug, because I think that they listened to Tyson Helton, the college coach of Bailey Zappi on the podcast. I think that's how <laughs> they came up. That's how they came up with some of the game plan. That is Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus. Doug, thanks so much for taking some time, man. Enjoy the rest of the football week. Absolutely. You too, Brian. Good talking to you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, welcome back in. Great stuff from Doug Kide on the game today as the Patriots. 29-0 over the Detroit Lions. Unbelievable win for the Patriots. Let's get to a couple of your calls. The number is 617-396-7172. 617-396-7172. Who's up first? Hi, Brian. This is Connie. I'm from Waltham, and uh, I really like your show. I especially like it when you have guests and you have conversations with them. Those are always really great. I just was wondering, 
Last time you had the five ingredients for a Pat's win, and I wondered if you thought they had followed your your blueprints. <laughs> so that's my question to you, okay? Thanks again for producing a great show. Bye-bye. Appreciate it. Well, yeah, pretty much they accomplished all of them, right? The first one was Matt Patricia get his revenge, not that now he is absolved of all the wrongdoings that he had in Detroit where the team sucked underneath him, but... He drew up a nice game plan for Bailey Zappi. That was the first one. Pound the rock. They certainly did that. Ramondre Stevenson was incredible in this game. The other one was turn the football over. They did that a couple of times in this game in terms of Jack Jones, incredible interception, the sack fumble of Jared Goff. And you had them turn the ball over five times on downs, right? 0-6 on fourth down. First time it's ever happened in the history of the NFL. A team went 0-6 when it comes to that. By any means necessary, they certainly took that one. So all in all, yeah, I would say 100% the Patriots. And expose the real Jared Goff. That was my number four. They certainly did that. I mean, Goff was atrocious in this game. He was scared during this game. And Goff had been really good this season. 11 touchdowns, three interceptions. I just think that Goff should never want to play Belichick again because he cannot play quarterback against Bill. I mean, this is a proven thing. All right, who's up next? Hey, Brian, it's Matt in Boston. Uh, do we have a, con- a QB controversy brewing down in Foxborough? I'm only kidding. I'm half kidding. The kid looked pretty good today. Uh, on a serious note, I was wondering about Belichick's ability to continue coaching this team with some of the off-season decisions he was making in terms of the coaching staff and the personnel and things like that. But I was reminded last week and reminded again this week at just how effing good he is at getting a team ready to play. Um, just the poise with which Bailey Zapp played was uh, indicative of that. All right. Have a good one. Life is better after a win. I appreciate the call. So a couple of things there, right? So to your second point, I give the coaching staff a ton of credit. What they did last week with Zappi in a pinch was phenomenal. Today it was phenomenal. The defense, the game plan, they're like, we don't really talk about Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo that often, but the defense played really well today against an offense, and I get it's led by Jared Goff, but an offense that had been the best statistical offense in the NFL coming into the week by yards per game and points per game. So you have to give him credit for that. And getting a quarterback like Zappi ready, a fourth rounder for a huge game. If you lose this game, your season's over. You go to one and four, you are done. So this is a massive game for the Patriots. And they were obviously laser focused into the game plan. So you give a ton of credit there. The quarterback controversy thing, I don't think this is like this huge thing where it's outlandish to say that you would want Zappi to go as the starting quarterback going forward, right? Because like, it's not like he's replacing some proven NFL quarterback. Mac had a decent rookie season. You know what Mac had been through the first three weeks of the season? He had played like a bottom 10 quarterback in the league. In fact, up until his injury, the only quarterback that had started every game that had a worse passer rating than Mac was Justin Fields. So if Mac's going to play the way he did the first three games of the season, I'd much rather have Zappi because even if the upside with Zappi is not as high because you're not going to take a lot of chances, well, I know right now, the floor right now, this season, has been higher with Zappi than Mac because Mac has legitimately hurt the team offensively, and part of it is he's taken a lot of shots and all that. And I totally understand that. But Zappi hasn't hurt the team. The interception today is on Aguilar. So I don't think it's outlandish or anything to have these questions going forward. Like, are we so sure that Mac Jones is a franchise caliber quarterback? I don't see the avenue ever for Mac to, I mean, he's never going to sniff the top five. He's not an incredibly talented player. Like, what's his special trait? Doesn't have a big arm. Is it super mobile? So I don't see like an unbelievable trait where it's like you're just waiting on that guy. Like, for example, the Bills, where Josh Allen had two years at the beginning of his career that were not great. 
and people were ready to give up on him. I may have been in that club. But then you're like, okay, well, he still is a massive human being. That's another thing. Mac's not a big guy. He's a massive human being with a massive arm, and he's incredibly athletic. Like, there's none of those traits with Mac Jones. So I've never been convinced that Mac was going to be this unbelievable franchise quarterback going forward. I feel like he could be a good player, but to get into that next stratosphere, no. So if he's going to continue to turn the football over, stick with Zappy. Who's next? Hey, Brian. Uh, Red Sox fan here. After a long year looking at playoffs here, I think our lineup can compete. I'm not sure we're there yet, but what the hell are we going to do about pitching? I mean, I get people like Bayo. We can go there, but are we going to sign DeGrom? I don't see it happening. Where are we going to go? Free agency, the draft. Uh, I'd like your take on that. Where the hell are we going to get our pitching? Thanks. Okay, I'm glad you asked that because this is the takeaway that I had over the weekend from watching these games. And we had Alex Cora on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he told us we have got to get better when it comes to the pitching department. But the thing that stuck out to me is, look, I, I'm high on Bayo too. Like, I think Bayo's got a ton of potential going forward, but he's going to be entering his first full season as a major league starter next year. And there could be ups and downs there. I think long-term, the kid's going to be outstanding. I'm just saying, with a young pitcher, that could happen, right? But if you look at what happened, sort of first thing that I liked about the weekend is it's awesome to see the Jays and the Rays go down on the same day. I hate both those teams. The Rays just pissed me off. I'm so happy the pitch clock's coming in next year because they take forever. It's a strategy with them. They're holding on to it forever, and I hate that shit, so I'm glad that's done. And the Jays went down, which I love seeing Manoa get beat up because I cannot stand that guy. You remember earlier this season, I was at this game at Fenway, where... Manoa strikes out Dahlback and Franchi. Both those guys at the time were striking out north of 30% of the time. It's not an achievement to strike those guys out, and he's strutting around, taunting those guys to the point where the Red Sox were getting out of the dugout. I cannot stand that guy whatsoever. So I was happy that those teams lost. I mean, that's a digression. But anyway, my point being about over the weekend, Friday, I'm watching the Cleveland game. Bieber goes seven and two-thirds, eight strikeouts, one earned. The following day for Cleveland, that epic game, McKenzie, six scoreless innings. How about Wheeler on Friday for Philadelphia? Six and a third, zero earned. Castillo for the Mariners, seven and a third scoreless. Darvish for the Padres in their first game, one earned in seven. So all these teams, they have that legitimate ace. And I feel like with the Red Sox going into next season, they're all question marks when it comes to that, right? So if you look at it, you can say, okay, maybe Bayo eventually is that guy, but you cannot bank on that in the 2023 season. Maybe Sale is healthy for the whole season. That's a big maybe. That's a big if. You just cannot predict that's going to happen with Chris Sale, right? And if he's great, I mean, it's almost like gravy. We're almost like expecting the injury with Chris Sale. That's why the guy that is out there that can do all this, I've been saying this for two years, it's Carlos Rodon. Rodon finished the season, strikeout rate 33.4%, first in baseball. He was second in war, 6.2 among starters, of course. His expected batting average, 198, second. 209 expected slugging, second. I just want a guy that can be in the playoff atmosphere that can go out there and perform like these aces are. Right now, you can't tell me with any sense of certainty that the Red Sox have that guy on the 2023 roster. All that would be projections. What I'm telling you is Rodon is a proven entity. And unfortunately, yeah, it's going to cost you a lot of money to bring in a guy like Rodon, but I don't give a shit because I want that guy on the mound in October. That's the guy I want the Red Sox to go out and target. And it became even more clear to me over the weekend watching all these aces across the sport. All right. The one other thing I wanted to get to is this situation with Antonio Brown, right? Because of course, we all heard the news of Brady and Giselle hiring the divorce attorneys, et cetera. Did you see the post from Antonio Brown? 
So it's a picture of a book, and it says, Daddy Doesn't Live Here Anymore, a book about divorce. And <laughs> then there's a picture, and I'm trying, I shouldn't be laughing about this, but Antonio Brown is in the house in this picture, and Brady's walking out of the house. Like, this guy is such an asshole. This is incredible to me. Look at Antonio Brown two years ago. This guy was basically done in the NFL. Remember, he had, going back, he had issues in Pittsburgh at the end, of course. It was ugly there. He gets the trade to the Raiders. He has all these situations with the Raiders where, remember, he burns his feet. And then he's in a situation where he wants to fight the general manager of the team. So they're done with the guy after they paid him. They paid this guy all kinds of money, and he does this stuff to him. Then he finally ends up with the Patriots. And after one week, the guy's gone because he can't help himself. He's going back at it with people on Twitter, of course, that are accusing him of really bad things. He's doing that type of stuff. And then he's taking shots at Robert Kraft after Robert Kraft moves on from him, basically comparing himself to what happened with Robert Kraft at the Orchids of Asia Day Spa, which is like, come on, man. And then the Brady thing, right? I mean, go back to last year. Antonio Brown has taken his shirt off on the field. I mean, that is still one of the most bizarre scenes I have ever seen in the history of sports. I've never seen anything like that. The guy just takes his shirt off and he leaves. And then he has the audacity to blame Tom Brady for a bunch of stuff. Okay, Tom Brady, let's remember this. Tom Brady recruits Antonio Brown and Bill Belichick, of course, as well. And Brady lets Antonio Brown stay at his house with his family when he comes to the Patriots. Tom Brady did all that. Tom Brady, after Antonio Brown had let him down with the Patriots, Brady recruits him to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, we can get into a whole conversation if Brady should be friends with this guy because obviously he's completely out of bounds with a lot of stuff he does. We just saw the stuff he was doing a couple of weeks ago that got all over the internet as well. But for Antonio Brown to be taking shots at Tom Brady right now, to me, that is just so far out of bounds. Like the one guy that had your back through all this stuff. This is the guy when Tom Brady is clearly in a very difficult part of his life right now, when he's going through this situation with his wife where he has kids with her, he's hiring a divorce lawyer. You're doing this type of stuff on social media? I mean, this guy is incredibly ungrateful. And I know we can go back and say he's never really been the same since he had that concussion against the Bengals. I know people point to that, but I just can't, believe the little amount of respect or the lack thereof, I should say, of respect that he has for Tom Brady out of all people to do this type of stuff to. You're doing this to Tom Brady. It's just it's so unbecoming of anybody. I mean, it's just it's embarrassing for Antonio Brown. Like, what is he thinking when he does stuff like that? I feel awful for Tom. Like, how would you feel if you're Tom right now? This dude, and I'm sure Tom is just like, you know, I really can't give a shit about this right now. I got a real situation going in my life. I'm trying to figure out my Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense right now, which has not been exactly unbelievable so far this season. I'm sure Tom just ignores the guy. But man, talk about a guy that is ungrateful. All right, we're going to be back with you on Tuesday. We'll have a full breakdown, or I should say a full preview of the Bruins season. Andrew Raycroft, of course, former Bruins goalie, now doing the postgame show there and pregame stuff with Nesson. We'll break down the season with him. And if you want to leave a voicemail about this game, the Bruins season, the Celtics, or the Red Sox, certainly can. 617-396-7172. Again, that's 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. 